Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mears. Hurt now. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, good day to you. What a day. What a day already. Behind the scenes. Wednesday, June 12, 2019. It's episode 204 of the Anik and Florian podcast. Take two, take three on episode 204. We were all in our places on Sunday. We're actually trying to push out the show early and not late. And uh, there was a sound card issue. I don't know what the fuck that means, but we couldn't tape the show on Sunday. Uh, so we appreciate your patience. Here we are three days later. Uh, Ken Flo did a hero's dose of jujitsu over the weekend. What is the frequency? Kenneth? <laughs> that was that was an amazing intro, my friend. Uh, dude, I mean, listen, what, there's so much to talk about. I've been itching to do this podcast. Finally, we get a chance to talk about what happened uh, this weekend. So do you ever take a day off from Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? Like you hear a lot of fighters now, and I know I asked a question and now I'm talking through what would be your answer, but a lot of fighters yeah. now will say, like Eddie Wineland, I, I'll take a day off now in training. And then there are other fighters who still to this day can't bring themselves to not at least run five miles. Do you take like a day here and there, or is it just May Rocky BJJ like 24-7? When I, tr- when I try to take – what. Listen, when I try to go to jiu-jitsu and just do it every single day, my wife gives me the eye roll, and then that's when I'm like, so I guess you want me to stay home and not do that. And then she's like, it's up to you. I mean, whatever you want to do, it's fine. <laughs> and, and so that means, uh, okay, I guess I'm staying home. So <laughs> I, I'll, I'll do uh, you know a, a day off here and there, but um, yeah, I try to train as much as possible. I, I'm like seriously as obsessed with jiu-jitsu as I was when I started, so it's Amazing. a problem. Yeah. Yeah, I can't quite get there in terms of the obsession with, with that gentle art. But uh, we'll get and tell it. Clark her autobiography should be called "Gee or Me." You know, you decide, <laughs> motherfucker. Gee or that's me. amazing. See, why now that I'm 40, do I make the that, that's a dad joke? You know, and <laughs> I, I love didn't it. Make these when I was. I'm 30. down for it though. Right. I love those. Okay. Uh, all right, so we're going to recap UFC 238. Ray Longo still celebrating. He's coming up here in about five minutes. Also on the back end, time permitting, depending on how long we go on 238, 
We will talk about that rumored strawweight title fight between Jessica Andrade and Weili Zhang. And just to at least give you my take on it, because sometimes I think when I defend a matchup like this, uh, people just chalk it up to the fact that the UFC cuts my paycheck. And I really can get behind this matchup and why I think they put it together. More reasons than one. Uh, but let's begin with... Uh, with Triple C, Henry Cejudo, uh, now simultaneously the UFC flyweight and UFC bantamweight champion. Forget the Olympic gold medal for now, Kenny. In terms of adding this accomplishment, this singular win over Marlon Marais to everything else, uh, for me, of all these simultaneous double champions, this is probably the most impressive. I would say that that's pretty accurate. Uh, I mean, again, for a guy to come from a wrestling background and to get this quick of a turnover as far as success in his career. I mean, I, I knew Henry uh, before he even had his first mixed martial arts fight. I, I, I trained with him. Uh, we did a strict conditioning session together, and I was just really blown away by this guy's mindset, his drive, his passion for what he was doing, wrestling at the time, of course. And, um, you know, I knew he was something special. And to see him have this amount of success this early to win two different belts and two different Crazy. weight classes is just unbelievable. And the manner in which he did it and against yeah. the people in which he did it, uh, again, just blown away by this amazing, amazing athlete. So before we get too deep into the fight itself, big picture, right? UFC 177, he misses weight. That was to be his UFC debut. Doesn't fight. Texted or called Sean Shelby and was like, dude, I'm done. I'm retired. This isn't for me. Right. And I think Shelby gave him a little bit of time to breathe. And Captain Eric Albaracin sort of encouraged him to stay with the game. But even a couple years later, 2016, when he fought DJ, self-admittedly just a wrestler. Right. And he finally got this guy, Alan Byers, to get him in a boxing stance. And the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, but, dude, I mean, when you look at this three fight win streak, right, Demetrius Johnson, TJ Dillashaw, Marlon Marais. Uh, and this win, too, Marlon was the betting favorite, arguably the most dangerous bantamweight for most of these guys matchup-wise. And uh, after that first round, he was probably a plus 1,000 live betting underdog getting off the stool for round two and somehow finishes him in round three. Uh, without a doubt. I, you know, to go back to that Demetrius Johnson fight, we have to remember what he did with his ankle in that round. Remember the first round? He was like... Yes continually stepping on that ankle. It looked oh, like God. mentally, physically, he was out of the picture. I mean, I don't know what was going on with that foot, but it did not look good for him. Uh, when you're facing a guy like a Demetrius Johnson, a pound-for-pound pound great, and you're struggling in there in the first round, you're out of there. I mean, Demetrius Johnson would get every single other fighter out of there after one or two rounds after that. But no, it was Henry Cejudo who kept plugging away. He did the exact same thing here. Now, that's a fight that really could have gone either way. But here against Moraes, I mean, the way that he came back, the way that he basically outwilled Moraes and just took the fight right out of him, uh, landing right hand after right hand, adjusting his stances, getting stronger as the fight went on, putting that pressure on Moraes, you know, for him, I think for Marlon, he didn't know what he had to do to get Henry out of there. He was landing all the right shots. He was right. kicking the weak leg and still couldn't do it. And I think that just really surprised him and took the will right out of him. I, I really yeah. do. Massively disappointing for, for Mark Henry and Ricardo Almeida and Frankie Edgar. Uh, 
they really thought their guy was going to break through. They have felt like Marlon's been the best bandwidth in the world for, for five, seven years running now and uh, finally got his shot and uh, did a lot of good things, as you mentioned. But in the end, it's Henry Cejudo. So real quick on the ankle wraps, Kenny. So Frank Mir used to like wearing these ankle wraps. Not every commission will allow you to wear them. Right. And Henry obviously had an ankle that was compromised and he was able to wear them. You saw a couple fighters in the inspection zone, Pedro Munoz and Nina Ansaroff, a couple of Pahumpa American top team trained fighters put them on like on the octagon steps. Uh, can you lend any insight into that? Obviously from a jujitsu standpoint, uh, Pahumpa certainly had to be encouraging his guys to be wearing them because it's very rare that you see them wear them a and B, you know, put them on as they get to the inspection zone like that. Well, you see them a lot in Muay Thai. Um, you know, a lot of guys in Muay Thai will wear them um, they also can work as an advantage in the grappling realm uh, as far as, you know, grabbing onto your ankles. You have a little bit more of a bite. It's not as sweaty if you have that kind of style of jujitsu, like some of the rubber guard players and things. I know a lot of the Eddie Bravo guys will wear those ankle uh, bra uh, braces uh, on. And, and you know, I, I think for the Muay Thai guys, you know, I think it helps dull a little bit of that pain when you kick a lot with that shin. And of course, you know, because Henry was dealing with an ankle injury, he had to do it to both ankles. If, if right. you see just one ankle uh, tied up right. like that or Good wrapped point. up, you're, you're going to attack that. You know that something's wrong. So he had to have him on both ankles to kind of disguise uh, any possible injury. And, of course, he was telling everybody that he was fine. Uh, obviously, he was injured heading into that. Um, and I, I think it just helped give him a little extra stability out there. And perhaps that's why we didn't see him shoot so much, because that's what I was looking for. When is he going to work a takedown? Right. He, took the, he took the hardest path to victory, still pulled it off. Uh, but I wonder if that had something to do uh, with why he didn't shoot early on Marlon Moraes. Right. And speaking of taking the hardest path to victory, how about Aljamain Sterling? Let us wow. get to Ray Longo. Now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. All right, Ray Longo Minute every week on the Anik and Florian Podcast and a congratulatory tone this week. How about Raymond Peter Longo in that fucking corner? How about Aljamain Sterling, the number one <laughs> Bantamweight contender? I don't care what the rankings say. Congrats on another big win, Ray. Oh, man. It's a happy time on Long Island. But uh, yeah, hats <laughs> off to Aljo. I think that his performance uh, blew me away. Uh, better than I thought. And uh, I'm really just happy for him that uh, things are coming to fruition uh, for him finally. That I really thought would have happened like, a couple of years ago. That, that's kind of what I've been talking about. And it's just good to see, like, again, that it came, came to fruition. At, on that type of stage against a very, very tough opponent. You know, Ray, everybody matures differently as a fighter. Everyone comes into their own, at, at their own time, at their own pace. What do you think is the difference now for Aljo? What, what was that difference that allowed Aljo to really find his style and get comfortable in the octagon? Is it just, is it just cage time? Uh, look, I think cage time has a lot to do with it. I'm a, I'm a big believer in the mental aspect and mindset. I mean, like, really big. And, you know, Aljo, there's a couple of things, because I thought about it, because he really, he really is maturing. But Aljo, I think one thing is he finds purpose in serving others. And I think this yeah. has a big deal to do with it. I mean, we did a thing for Parkinson's a couple of months ago, and then the week before the fight, uh, 
with corner. He cornered fighters with me. You know what I mean? And I'm saying to myself, you know, he had his brother fighting, and, you know, I'm saying, man, it's a week before the fight. Maybe he should be concentrating. But I really believe he finds strength in servicing others. And they always say that's good to donate your time. And I think he's a perfect example of that. And number two, I really, really believe having Marab and Al Iaquinta around and watching these guys go to war, I know after the, uh, the Kevin Lee fight, Aljo was fucking amped up, and then he fought Jimmy Rivera, and then he had this fight. You know what I mean? So uh, I, I think those two things mentally just put him in a great spot. I don't think he wants to let people down that he's, you know, he helps out. He's a great teacher. He knows how to break down fights great. I love talking to him about it. And, uh, yeah, I think I think mentally he just saw a, a switch in gears where he was willing to stay in the pocket and stand right in front of the guy. And anything, anytime he did a couple of things he did beautiful. He, that guy would throw one kick, he'd get hit with three three punches and a kick. You know what I mean? So his, his countering, his ability to... Uh, to do a couple of things that we've always worked on is just phenomenal to me. Well, Ray, w- without kissing your ass too much, I want to ah. I want to give I want to give you a lot of credit because this is a guy in Aljo that I believe you you have allowed to really find his own unique style out there, and I think it's going to yes. be extremely difficult for someone to go out there and prepare for someone like Aljo because he throws so many different things at you and you're not quite sure what he's going to throw. He's got a different rhythm than everybody out there. He's in, then he's out. It, it's very confusing of fighting a guy like Aljo. So can you talk about that kind of development and how he's kind of created his own unique style? Yeah, yeah, because let me, let me just tell you something. Technique-wise... I will take zero credit. I mean, that's him. That's his attributes. What I do, I believe good, is I work with whatever attributes I'm given in front of me with the guys. And I remember listening to a guy talk about, I don't know, the Cerro Longo guys. I really don't know what they do. You know, one guy does this, one guy does that. And I'm like, hey, jerk off. Are you kidding? (laughs) You know, like you want everybody. It's not a cookie-cutter approach. Everybody is different. He gets trained different than Iaquinta. Iaquinta is different from Weidman to from... Whatever it is, Marab is, and you got to understand the attributes of your guys and really play to their strengths. And that, that's all I've done with Aljo. I mean, I encourage him uh, just to, to, to be who he is. And he could, I mean, he's got such great, great gifts, man, more than, probably more than anybody. And I think when, when he first came on the scene, you know, we talked about and the funk master funk. You know how that was a great nickname for it, and I think you're starting to see it now. So yeah, I think yeah. just allowing, like you, you, like you said, allowing a guy to grow, encouraging him, always supporting him on what he does good, even though it, it might look wacky. You know, like uh, I think a month ago, I don't know if you you remember this guy, uh, old school kickboxers would, but there was a guy Manson Gibson. Do you remember that guy? Yes. Kenny, you do. I mean, I, I said, I'll just look yeah. this guy up. I saw this guy beat some good tie boxes. You know, he had just, he would just nonstop kick. You couldn't get near him. Yep. He had this crazy, crazy style. So, like, again, I encourage, you know, the guys to do what they do best. And, that, you know, that that's it. But technically, you know, like, I've been around a long time. I might see something in Savat and go, you know, like from the JKD days and go, wow, what about this? Does this make sense to you? And if it does, it does. If it doesn't, we move on, you know. But that's awesome. He's still got some stuff to uh, to, to throw, but uh, man, that was about as good. That's what I expect out of the guy. That honestly, 
That's exactly what I expect. And every time Amazing you throw, performance. The, throw a power punch and you get a front kick in the solar plexus, it interrupts yeah. you. And you get interrupted yeah. enough times, then, then the round's over. And then you're behind. And then they create another set. you got to overcommit. You can get taken down. So he's a great matchup for Cejudo. I really love that matchup. I hope they give him the fight. He's the guy that deserves it. And uh, he paid his dues. You know, I think to come back from the knockout, a vicious knockout from Moraes, and to go on a tear like that, I can't say enough about the guy. I think it, like it shows how mentally tough he could be because a lot of guys would crumble after that. So Pedro Munoz as an opponent, he's one of the best bantamweights in the world. He is a tough motherfucker. He has never been finished, and without that a, still holds true after this fight. But to beat him on the feet like that, you know, I don't think in Pedro's worst nightmare, you know, Aljo said to us at our fighter meeting, hashtag bad night for Pedro, and, and indeed it was. Uh, but to beat him like that, I think it speaks to a lot of things. And I want you to hammer home something that we talked about at 3 o'clock in the morning after the fight. And you touched on it when you were answering Kenny's question, but the power of this Troika, Ally Quinta, Marab Dualish Willie, and Aljamain Sterling. Because I think of all the things that they have helped Aljo with, and he's helped them probably just as much, if not more so. But the mean streak, the attitude, right? Like Aljo, he's going in there as the meaner, nastier guy, and that wasn't always the case. And I think a lot of that... Right. And I know you agree, obviously, you put this thought in my head, but a lot of that has rubbed off from guys like Al, who is about as no-nonsense as it gets, and Marab, who glues his cuts closed with Elmer's glue, you know? Yeah, there's, there's no question about it, and they all feed off each other. And again, Aljo was huge in the last Marab fight. and I mean, you got to see these guys work together. It's really great. They, they really want the best for each other. And uh, I'm, I'm saying that's a huge, huge thing. And, again, I go back to the Kevin Lee fight. Aljo was pumped up in that corner, man. I mean, and because, and, look, you can't teach what Aljo technically did. He just mentally decided to, to you know, plant his flag and start, and start swinging. I mean, that's right. not something you teach. You're either comfortable or you're not comfortable. And the good news is if he gets comfortable with that, because he is smart, he's going to be a different character. You know what I mean? And that's. Really, really where I think he's heading. And, like, people were saying, like, I wasn't afraid of Aljo getting into, like, a total slugfest with the guys. He's an intelligent fighter, you know. But right. when he feels something, uh, you know, he went with it. It was right. I mean, everything he did in that fight, he warmed up with Marab with. Everything. Like, I'm saying everything. Right. From well, standing him. Because there were a couple of times I got Aljo, if you don't feel comfortable, just get back on your, you know, get back on your bike and, you know, start you know, sticking and kicking and keeping them off balance with the fakes and everything. But if you yeah. do, take a shot, man, because it looks great. Well, and he also has a lot of physical gifts and a frame in this division that no one really can match, right? He was talking about Pedro having alligator arms. I mean, if this division has a John Jones frame-wise, it's Aljo. And that brings us to this possible Cejudo fight. Aljo's now the number two contender. Marice is number one, so obviously... Aljo's the guy. If this was strictly done based upon a meritocracy and what the fighters have accomplished competitively, uh, we would be congratulating you on getting the fight. Um, but you know, it doesn't always go down like that. So Hudo called out the big names, Dominic Cruz, chief among them. Um, what, what's your, uh, what, what is your initial thought on, on the matchup and whether or not you get the fight? I mean, I don't know. For some reason, I feel confident that, uh, you know, the stars are going to align right, and he will get that fight. He deserves it. 
I think uh, I don't think anybody's disagreeing that Aljo deserves that fight. I don't, I, I've listened to a couple of people, and I think you know uh, everybody's on the same page with that. Whether what they do with that, I don't know. But I love the matchup for Aljo because the length I think is always going to be a problem. And again, Kenny, what we didn't see was any grappling exchanges. And I'm telling you, kid is phenomenal on the floor. Very great in the scrambles, and I'll tell you, squeeze strength, second to none probably. So he's he's in a good spot, man. He's getting once he gets comfortable in his own skin, and I think that's what we saw. Uh, man, I really welcome the Cejudo fight, and just based on Cejudo, what he's accomplished, and he, what a great competitor he is. Oh, that would be exciting for me. It would really be exciting, and I know Aljo. Uh, I, I really believe Aljo gets the win in that fight. Ray, I, I agree with you that Aljo absolutely deserves that next shot. But do you think it gets tricky now that Henry Cejudo is essentially the champion in two different divisions? I, I mean, d- does that push a timeline back a little bit? Uh, that could be tricky, but I think uh, he's always talking about getting more money. So I don't think he's going to get more money at, at 125. So I think he'll take the 35. You know, hopefully they can come to something that makes him happy. I do think he deserves to be paid. Uh, and I think if he's a stand-up guy, he gives Aljo that shot. You know, if you listen to Khabib, he's not talking about Conor McGregor. He's talking about Tony Ferguson. That's the guy that deserves it. He's got 13 wins in a row. I mean, I think, you know, the UFC can make a good statement by rewarding the right people on their merit and what they've done for the organization and for the sport. And yeah. I, I really believe that's going to happen. All right, my man. I know it's a busy weekend for for you coming up here. We appreciate the time. You got a few guys competing uh, on Saturday. Is that right? Yeah, we have uh, Heather Hardy, we have uh, John Benaducci, and we have uh, Castriat. I can't pronounce his last name, but we call him Kaz. He's a great dude. Three guys, uh, you know, three three people, uh, and just a couple of them just to fight at Madison Square Garden's a huge thing on a great show. So right. Just we just we just keep on moving, John. We we don't. I, I, I know. I don't and, even and know what I'm host, doing anymore. Uh, and you host two podcasts, and and you can't even pronounce your own fighters' names. But God love you. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, uh, I'm I'm very sorry to say I was talking. You know, I was talking to Matt this morning, and he informed me Aljo was going on unfiltered. <laughs> Son of. A I don't bitch. know what that is. Son what is that? Oh, is that a podcast? Unfiltered. Oh yeah. yeah, I, don't yeah, yeah. Anybody, I don't. I don't know if anybody listens to it, but. Yeah. Or Aljo. We'll get him next <laughs> time. I love it. Yeah, well, tell him he has an open invitation to come back here. Uh, last thing before we let you go. Uh, you, you were telling me that my inspiration and my energy before the fight uh, really boosted you up. I mean, was that just you buttering me up, or did I have some, like, effect on the outcome of the fight? No, no, 100% you had an effect. And I'll tell you where I'm coming <laughs> from, because I listened to Mark, Mark Henry talk about the uh, Marais with uh, – on an interview, and he said he was never so confident before uh, in a fight. And I, I, I just learned that that's really true. The more confident you are, sometimes things don't go your way. So I just try to keep an even, you know, mindset because anything can happen. And it was nice to hear you. You like it, it, it appeared that you were more motivated than me, but I just try to keep it. You know, I don't want to start ranting and raving about Al Joey's yeah. going to do this, he's going to do that. Of course, and then of he course. Loses, and then it's, you know what I'm saying? So, 
you know, my experience over the years is sometimes you do everything right and it goes wrong, and you know the saying, sometimes you don't put yeah. in a good camp and it goes right, but yeah. uh, thank God everything went right, and I appreciate your enthusiasm. It means a lot, because, you know, I'm a, I could be a head case, too, so uh, you might think I'm joking, but I'm really not. Well, thank you, my man. A wise man, Kenneth Allen Florian, once told me length is a really big deal in MMA, and uh, Aljo's using it as well as anybody right now. We're excited for you, buddy. Have a great weekend. Uh, Please pass along our congratulations to Aljo. A girl girl told me the same thing. (laughs) Oh! I don't know know what that means, Kenny, but I actually broke out in tears. (laughs) <laughs> right, she said it's a big deal, hey, sir. I'm gonna a big deal. You're out of here, Ray. That's what she said. Thing. So Kenny Florian, wait, Kenny Florian said, "What did he say about?" <laughs> in MMA, I said, "Ray, in MMA." Oh, in MMA. Oh, yes, I yes. Oh, no, I thought you said in the bedroom. I gotta go, guys. <laughs> Take it easy. Hey, hey, get your head out of the fucking gutter, huh? <laughs> Hey, uh, easy, hey! have guys. a great have a day great there in New up. York. Uh, don't forget, Boston is competing for another world championship tonight, buddy. Have a great night. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> there he is, Ray Longo, every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Hey, I could have led the show with the Boston Bruins and the fact that game six cost me $800. Oh, um, my goodness. We're purchasing playoff wins. You know how it goes. You know I, how it goes. I do. You're an absolute What a, what a superstitious, terrible terrible uh aljamain sterling real quickly just putting a bow on that great teacher great teammate absolutely obsessed with martial arts watching fights of any kind all the time great feel for chokes right you heard ray talk about the grappling great feel for that carotid artery as he likes to say total package and i think in some respects that's why he may not get the fight and i say that with all due respect because Sahudo wants to take on all comers but to me right when you're weighing upside to me, I just think the Aljo matchup's a tough one, and, and if I can avoid fighting the longest guy in the division right now in my first Bantamweight title of defense, I'd probably avoid that guy. Absolutely, and you compound that with the fact that, again, he truly is the funk master. He's a guy that is really difficult to prepare for. He's very awkward. He's very unorthodox. Good luck finding a guy who moves like Aljamain Sterling in your gym. Um, and I think just that alone is very difficult. Right. You throw in the reach, you throw in all the other things that he can do out there. He is going to be a tough matchup for a lot of guys out there, John. It was an unbelievable win. You could see Pedro Munoz was just absolutely confused out yeah. there. So on Henry Cejudo, as we try to spin this thing forward, and we could go 10 more minutes right now talking about Cejudo's greatness and how deep he had to dig in this performance and everything else. Couldn't possibly have more respect um, for the competitor and the athlete that is Henry Cejudo. The three names he called out, Dominic Cruz, my dear friend, but hasn't fought since 2016. Cody Garbrandt, great relationship with him, coming off two or three straight losses, right? Uh, Uriah Faber, I mean, he's like us, right? He's on the other side of 40. I guess he's coming back in Sacramento in a couple weeks, but those scenarios seem less viable to certain people. I think Dominic is certainly the most viable of those three because if anybody can come back from a three-year layoff and win a championship fight, it is Dominic. You know, he is just coming off the one loss to Cody. He did, in a lot of respects, help build the Bantamweight division. But don't you think that from a, from a competitive standpoint, uh, unless Frankie Edgar gets by Max Holloway and they give Henry that opportunity to fight Frankie, that the path would seem pretty clear that Aljo on the merits of what he's done should be the guy right now. Right. I, I absolutely believe that to be true. Aljamain Sterling uh, really deserves that shot. 
and I think it's pretty clear what Henry Cejudo wants, right? Not only in the people that he called out, but also in what he said on the mic as well in regards to Dana, how he wants to get paid. Right. And, you know, I know he, he recently did, um, you know, he, he's been doing other podcasts and interviews where he says money is going to be a major factor for him moving right. forward. And you look at uh, Dominic Cruz, Uriah Faber, uh, and who was the other one? I'm sorry. Um Cody. Cody, sorry, Cody. Those are all the, the the big names in that division, in and around that division. So I think he's looking for a big payday. That's what he wants. That was his motivation behind those names, in my opinion. But I, I think the guy who deserves it, that's Sterling. The question beckons, though, in this new pay-per-view structure, and I don't have all the answers on this. Right. I try to stay in my lane. But Henry wants a million bucks, right? I mean, when he talks about the extra zero, right, it would seem to me that he's probably making six figures and wants seven, right? So would they pay him more money to fight Dominic Cruz than they would pay him to fight Aljamain Sterling? You know, I don't know how the pay-per-view works. I mean, in theory, that would be the bigger pay-per-view fight, obviously, you know. So I just don't know structurally if, you know, they meet his number. If it's a million bucks, then he doesn't really care and will fight the true number one contender. Right. Listen, um, I, I know it's a, a very different structure. I'm not going to pretend like I know what the hell's going on. Like I have some inside sources, but yeah, listen, at the end of the day, you got to prove to the UFC not, that not only are you a great fighter, but you're going to bring in the ticket sales and the pay-per-view sales, period. Yeah. Th that's what they're looking for, right? Uh, I mean, let, let's not pretend uh, Demetrius Johnson, there's a reason why they let him go. Right. He, he, he was one of the best fighters ever to compete inside the octagon. He wasn't bringing in the sales for the company and they had to let him go. That, that, yeah. it, it's that simple. Right. I, I, again, Conor McGregor, he might not be the undefeated guy, but he's the guy who's bringing in the most eyeballs to the sport. Therefore, he is going to get paid the most. That's right. what it comes down to. It's both a business and a sport. Finding that balance is going to be critical moving forward. And for Henry Cejudo, Listen, it's an amazing performance. He's an exciting fighter. I hope that he is bringing in the eyeballs. He deserves to get those seven figures. Um, as far as my perception, being on the outside looking in, is he bringing in that money, though? That is the question, and right. that's going to be the answer for the UFC on whether they give him that or not. Right. If he sold a bunch of tickets, maybe they don't put that Ferguson Cerrone fight on there four weeks out. You know, right. I mean, there are some questions I'm sure that uh, that will get answered. But uh, congratulations to Henry Cejudo and a man who also, at least for the time being, appears to have saved the UFC flyweight division. So when we do the show on Wednesday instead of Monday, it takes on a little bit of a different tone uh, in terms of being sort of instant analysis versus long term focus. And you have more time to digest it. So. That brings us to Valentina Shevchenko, an amazing win over Jessica High. I mean, truly a great head kick. I mean, you can talk us through it technically, obviously. I mean, the guard was low expecting a body strike. It hits the head, and uh, the next thing you know, four minutes later, Jessica I is asking people if she got knocked out, and the answer is emphatically yes. Without a doubt. Listen, you want to set a pattern on your opponent, um, and then you want to break it, right? That And that's exactly what Shevchenko did. Uh Listen, Jessica, I, I don't think she was the toughest fight for Shevchenko. But again, you're looking at a division that they don't have a lot of competition to, to full stop. Right. I, I mean, we, we got right, we got right. we, we got to we get that out there. But Jessica, I was willing. She is tough. 
But skill-wise, she was going to be at a huge disadvantage going into this one. And Shevchenko just had way too many weapons for Jessica I. She was attacking the legs. She was attacking the body. She was mixing things up with her takedowns. And, and Jessica did, just didn't know what was going to get thrown next. And when you're able to have that kind of confusion, similar to what uh, Aljo did against Pedro Munoz, when you're able to confuse your opponent out there, they're a sitting duck. And Shevchenko went for that kill shot, went upstairs with that head kick. And man, that was one of the scariest knockouts I have ever seen in the yeah. UFC, period. The sound of it, the fact that on impact, Jessica I was already out. I mean, right. it looked like a tree just falling in the forest slowly. Yeah. Um, and I was really concerned, you know, uh, whether Jessica High was going to be able to get up on her own or not. I mean, that was absolutely a brutal shot. Yeah. Uh, and Shevchenko just put on another brilliant performance. I don't see her losing that belt for a long time. And and I said that and someone says, well, look at Rousey. Everyone said that about Rousey. This is a different time in a different sport and a fighter that really is extremely well-rounded. And a lifelong, not just martial artist, but a lifelong mixed martial artist. Absolutely. Right? More than half her life, she has been mixing all of the different di disciplines, made her pro MMA debut in 2003. I mean, you, we talk a lot about, you know, international master of sport. She's an international master of sport in Muay Thai or whatever. She's got a master of sport in every other fucking discipline imaginable. 17-time Muay Thai champion. On and on it goes. And that becomes an issue, I think, competitively when it when you look at this division, right? So Caitlin Chukagian squeaks by Joanne Calderwood. She was the number two contender, so she seems to be a clear number one contender right now. And if I'm Chukagian's dad, I'm calling her and I'm like, hi, Caitlin. It's dad. Um, you know, maybe one more tune-up or so. You know, it's like, do you want your daughter to fight Valentina Shevchenko as a plus 900 underdog? And I say that with all due respect to Caitlin, but... Um, it's uh, it's a solution. Dominant champions can be a solution, but it can also be a problem when every time out they're minus sixteen hundred. Dude, I I'm telling you, at one hundred and twenty five pounds, watch the hell out. Not not only is she someone who she's going to have more weapons than you, but she just hits so much harder than everyone else in that division, man. I mean, that's a scary woman. That's really the you know what I mean. The, it's it's the a, crux of it or whatever. Yeah, you you look at the Amanda Nunes's, the cyborgs. There's a massive difference between them and everybody else in their division. You know, you could be a good striker and all that, but when you have that and you have the power and you got the grappling skills, uh, it, it's not only a tough fight, it's legitimately dangerous fight for right. anyone who faces Chevchenko. And, right. and again, she's got the results to back it up. Right. Chukagian defeated Joanne Calderwood in what was the first fight of the night. That came after she dropped, I think it was a split decision to Jessica I, right? So all these other women are going toe-to-toe. -to -toe. Judges have a hard time picking a winner. Your top 10 at flyweight for the women, Jessica I, Caitlin Chukagian, Liz Carmouche, Ioana Young-Jacek, who knows if uh, her future's even in that division. Roxanne Mataferi, JoJo Calderwood, Alexis Davis, Jennifer Maya, Lauren Murphy, uh, you know, We'll see. I mean, maybe some of these up-and-comers, Andrea Lee, Montana, De La Rosa, can start to emerge. But uh, Valentina Shevchenko's got a huge fucking head start. And uh, Jessica, I certainly paid for it over the weekend. All right, treetop and some of these other fights. We'll certainly give Tony Ferguson his due, though. I love Tony Ferguson. Like, if I was eight years old, I'd be buying a Tony Ferguson poster. I'd be putting it on my wall. If, if anyone out there has an idea uh, of a way I could get, like, a Tony Ferguson tattoo that was somewhat subtle that may be multi-dual meaning. Uh, it's at John underscore Anik on social media. 
I love this guy. You fought for this lightweight belt a couple times. He's won 12 straight fights at 155 pounds. He might be the greatest UFC lightweight fighter of all time. And uh, I know there were a lot of layers to this fight, but this guy, to me, is just in a league of his own uh, just when it comes to to work ethic. And, I mean, he's just a, a special, special fighter and a special guy. He really is. And, and this is a guy in Tony Ferguson who's been uh, nothing but consistent. And again, I said it before on this podcast, but the fact that he hasn't fought for a UFC belt at this point is absolutely criminal. Um, he's done it all. You look at the guys that he's beaten, the, the manner in which he's done it. Uh, he is an absolute savage. He looked very motivated out there. And again, like Tony yeah, Ferguson... He he had a chip on his shoulder before, John, and then before this fight, I mean, with everything that came out of his past, I think that really angered him. You know, his relationship with Dana White is dicey now, but I think all of those things only motivated Tony Ferguson out there. And um, I, again, he, he just kept going at Donald Cerrone, and I think this was a different Donald Cerrone. This was a Donald Cerrone that was very motivated. Yeah. This was a tough Donald Cerrone who took some shots. And, and you really didn't see any quit in him. Um, and Tony Ferguson still was just piecing him up. And, and, you know, I think Joe Rogan made a really great point in that fight. It was the fact that Tony Ferguson was getting hit in that fight, right? I mean, I thought he was. Yeah. But the damage on Tony yeah. Ferguson's face versus the damage right. on Donald Cerrone's right. face, it was just like night and day. And, again, it, it's a testament to probably the power, the precision, um, you know, the 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 elbows of Tony Ferguson versus Donald Cerrone, who, you know, has put a lot of damage on a lot of guys. He's knocked out a lot of guys in the UFC yeah. at 170, 155. And Tony Ferguson looked like he was in a, in a tough sparring fight. That's it. That's, right. that's what his fight, his face looked like. Yeah. I was surprised in talking to him after the fact that he did actually need a couple stitches, but largely he, uh, he appeared unblemished. So how do you quantify the impact of Donald Cerrone going 25 hard minutes with Ally Quinta five weeks prior because as great a place as Cerrone seemed to be in and as comfortable as he is making these quick turns, I'm not sure he has, A, ever made a quick turn after going 25 minutes a few weeks prior and, B, of course, facing somebody like Tony Ferguson while making that quick turn. That's a very difficult question. I think that in a lot of ways that brings out the best in Donald Cerrone right. men- mentally because right. of the quick turnaround. He just likes staying active. But sometimes the body just simply does not uh, cooperate. And I think that's cuts what, too. Yeah, I mean, that's brutal. Uh, Donald Cerrone is not a small guy. Six foot, six foot one. He's got to cut down to 155 pounds. Uh, just went 25 minutes against a very tough guy, an ally at Quinta. Um, that's a lot to ask from a guy. And that was obviously another high-profile fight against an absolute killer in Tony Ferguson. So I think that, um, you know, again, a lot of times we have great intentions as a fighter, but sometimes your body just doesn't show up sometimes. I'm not saying that's what happened. I think Tony Ferguson is what happened really more than anything else. But it's something you've got to talk about. That is a a factor for a lot of guys. The draw for Cerrone, obviously, was that if you beat Tony Ferguson, then even if he had to wait six months, a win over Tony Ferguson gets you an undisputed title shot eventually, even if you have to bide your time. So that was the upside for Cerrone. But I think a lot of his fans are probably, you know, his fans who wanted him to compete for the belt a second time are probably disappointed in some respects that he took this fight, right? Because if you sort of 
let somebody else try to conquer the giant. You know, maybe it could have aligned for Donald. And now, I mean, you saw it. all he was talking about was the belt, Kenny. And now, you know, it's uh, it's distant all of a sudden. It's it's tough. It it was a tough loss. I, I think Donald Cerrone didn't lose anything in this one, though. I, yeah. I, I really I really don't. That's fair. I, I think. I think you can put him right back in there either for a rematch or put him in another high-profile fight at 155 pounds. The way that it went down almost was a good thing for Donald Cerrone. Uh, obviously, bittersweet. But I wouldn't be surprised if they try to book a rematch. And that sounds absolutely crazy. But I think a lot of people are kind of clamoring for it. Right. Uh, I know I know that Ferguson said he was down for it. Uh, anyways, he, he said that after the fight. I don't know what right. he thinks about that now. Things change. Yes. But um, – you know, and, and again, with this whole thing, a whole mess at 155 pounds, I, you know, I know Ray has good intentions and, 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 and believes that Tony Ferguson will probably get that next shot. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I, let, let's be honest. Right. If, if, Khabib, if Habib Nurmagomedov beats Poirier, right, um, that's going to that is going to be a rematch. He's going to have a rematch against Conor McGregor. Right. I mean, right. there's just too much money on the table. The UFC is just not putting on the same pay-per-views that they did before. They need a big pay-per-view number. Right. Um, you know, uh, with the whole changeover, with how this pay-per-view is working, I don't yeah. think people are finding their way over to to it as easily. Right. For Conor McGregor, I think they will. I will say Habib is stubborn in all the best of ways, and I do think legacy-wise he wants that win over Ferguson. He wants to be the guy to stop the train, but I see your point, and I do think a rematch is pretty likely. And, of course, if Dustin Poirier beats Habib, then Habib probably has some sort of rematch clause, and then uh, things get further cloudied if you're – is that even a word? Fucking cloudied? Sure. Uh, But things get a little bit more smoky if you're you're Tony Ferguson. But what a body of work. You know, put any lightweight resume up against that one and uh in terms of what happened at the end of that second round thankfully Dan Mergliata you know didn't over inject himself into this because could you imagine if this ended up being a DQ win for Cerrone and thereby went away Tony Ferguson's winning streak yes it was a late strike but as Cerrone himself said after the fact and with respect to Joe Schilling and everybody else who's upset about this even Cerrone said the punch didn't have any you know the punch after the fact wasn't why you know I wasn't able to continue, but could you imagine, dude, if we're sitting here with a Cerrone DQ win on Wednesday morning? You know, I I know. And, and listen, kudos to, to Donald Cerrone, similar to uh, Anthony Lionheart Smith when yes, he was extremely example. honest about it. Hey, listen, no, that was not the factor. And you know, a lot of people said, "Oh, that last shot, that's what broke Donald Cerrone's nose or orbital bone or whatever." There were no breaks. That there were no fractures right, in, right. in Donald Cerrone's face at all. That that just came out. Uh, I saw that this morning. So. Um, again, Donald Cerrone, just as tough as they come, the guy loves to fight. Very honest and candid response there. And uh, you, you got to love Cowboy, man. What, what a stud. If you put a Ferguson Gaethje fight together, like on that oh, Abu Dhabi oh. card or something, or as its own main event, I think the fans would just go bananas. Dude, what, uh, what, one of the greatest lines of all time was Gaethje. He tweeted, he goes, Tony Ferguson. He said something effective. I want to see that dark place with you, Tony Ferguson. Yeah. And you know he means it. Both of those guys, when they they say that, they actually mean it. Both Ferguson and Gaethje are willing to go to those dark places. I don't know who goes deeper, but maybe that's a fight we need to see in the future as well, dude. I have chills thinking about it. And not just willing to go to that dark place. Like, Gaethje wants to go there. And then he wants to go there again. You know, yes, it, he is. I mean, you talk about unique individuals, right? I, I've never met anybody like Justin Gaethje, but 
I do believe that there's a good chance Tony Ferguson's next fight could be for the undisputed title. And I say it in this context, right? After the fact, he was all about the rematch. And by the way, Dana White seems to want to put the rematch together. So maybe that's what happens. And maybe it is on the same card as Khabib and Poirier. But even by the time Tony Ferguson had gotten up to the set for the post-fight show, he had stepped back from a rematch a little bit. And when put in the context of, of his winning streak and his fan base and everybody else, it's like, dude, at some point you got to fight for the undisputed title. Like at yes. some point it just gets too ridiculous, you know, and you got to go fight for the undisputed title. So yes. I think his management is going to push him pretty hard to try to idle and, and maybe fight for the belt. But uh, there are a lot of things uh, that could be in his way. And, of course, Dustin Poirier, chief among them. Uh, anything on Piotr Jan for me? I mean, I don't think he's going to get title shot consideration like Aljamain Sterling, but he got a very urgent, at times desperate, Jimmy Rivera. And Rivera was certainly at his toughest, even though he wasn't able to get much done in the fight. And uh, Piotr Jan, man, I mean, June 23rd, 2018, makes his UFC debut. You know, he's Adesanya 2.0, at least in terms of the accomplishments in a year. I'm not saying he's a similar fighter in any way, shape, or form, right. but less than a year on the roster, 5-0 and at 135 pounds. And I just think that, uh, that his upside is pretty damn high. I, I agree with you. I think Jan had a, a tremendous performance against a inspired Jimmy Rivera. Yeah. That was good to see Jimmy Rivera out fighting like that because I was a little concerned after that knockout against Morais that uh, he was very hesitant out there. I, I think it probably had a lot to do with Sterling also coming off that knockout loss, but now giving him some time. Um, he was certainly willing to trade with Jan. Um, and, you know, again, I... I, I got to criticize his corner. I, I heard so much bad advice there. And again, it's mm. really easy to send out your fighter to go into the fire and get knocked out when it's not your brain on the line. And again, right. maybe it was just him, them trying to motivate Jimmy Rivera. But that's when he was taking all the shots, in my opinion. I mean, you don't have to just go forward to 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 win a fight like that's right. not the only way you win a fight how about moving laterally how about moving your head how about showing that kind of advice as opposed to you know thinking that your fighter's scared you got to go forward right. and you're getting knocked out it doesn't matter yeah i mean that that's just stupid advice and i think right. that really hurt jimmy rivera out there against a big time power puncher and yawn uh but yeah this guy yawn is very very dangerous um i, I think weapons wise he's going to need a little bit more but I tell yeah. you what, he's one of those guys that legitimately has knockout power. And if he catches anyone in that division, he'll put you to sleep. Uh, Tatiana Suarez, is a winner by unanimous decision over Nina Ansaroff. She booked two rounds and then Nina came on late. Couldn't possibly have more respect for Nina Ansaroff taking this fight, putting her four-fight winning streak on the line against the fighter who represents far and away for her the toughest matchup in the division. Uh, you know, I don't think Suarez's stock is necessarily diminished, but she didn't necessarily look championship ready over the weekend. What would you think of uh, Suarez and Ansaroff in the featured prelim? Well, listen, I think it's a credit to Nina Ansaroff and how good she is. I, I, again, I, I said this on the podcast, I believe. I said, you know, if there's one if there's one bet that's a little bit tempting, just based on the fact right. that she was just a such a huge Massive. underdog, I think Ansaroff is, is not a bad bet based on her ground skills, based on her experience. Um, and, you know, again, everyone over at ATT said she was she's the best in that division. Um, so. She she went up against a very tough uh, matchup, though, and Tatiana Suarez. I think Suarez uh, still got it done uh, with her wrestling. I think she's always going to be a threat there. I did think that Nina did a great job in that third round of winning that. I think that's probably the first round that Tatiana has lost uh, in, in her MMA career probably thus far. And 
Um, I think that's going to be a great learning lesson for Tatiana. I think these are the fights you want to have before you fight for the belt to give you that experience, to let you know, hey, you still got a lot to work on. You still got to get more experience and more comfortable in the octagon. I think Suarez will only get bigger, uh, only get better, sorry, moving forward in her career. And we will talk about the 115-pound title fight in a minute. I probably should have done it here, but I don't want to shortchange Calvin Cater because since Kenny Florian, he is Boston's best hope for a UFC champion. And uh, goes up, gets his first top 10 opponent in Ricardo Lamas and knocks him out in four minutes and six seconds. There are a lot of layers to this Cater game. You know, he's had to put in a lot of the right work to get here. He's had some learning experience, the Moicano loss in the UFC. But uh, I don't know, dude. I mean, this dude looks like the real deal, and he's going to get a chance to prove it in his next fight, too. Put me on the put me on the Cater bandwagon yeah. right now, because uh, I tell you what, uh, this is a guy who hits extremely hard. Not only to get the knockout over a guy in Ricardo Lamas who has fought for the belt at 145 pounds, but he broke his jaw. Um, Lamas got his jaw broken at three three different places. Yep. I mean, uh, just ridiculous. And again, that is some serious power. And perhaps even more impressive than the knockout itself was the composure and the precision of Calvin Cater. There was nothing that Ricardo Lamas did in that fight that threw off Calvin Cater at all. And you look at the experience disparity in that fight, it was significant. And I thought that was going to be a factor. I said, you know, Lamas, his experience, his wrestling, he, he hits very hard. He's got a good guillotine. Right. Uh, positionally, he's not bad on the ground. I said, that's going to be that's going to be a tough fight for Calvin Cater. And I thought it would be a decision win for Ricardo Lamas. Boy, was I wrong. Calvin Cater's pressure, his composure was something to behold. I agree with you. Cater is definitely a contender, man. Well, you may have gotten that one wrong, but you did kick Ian Parker's ass at UFC 230. Oh, of course. So. Yeah. You got hey. 11. Ian Parker's the best thing to happen to me on this podcast (laughs) as far as picks. I mean, it's been beautiful. You know, we picked 10 fights, and you got 11 points. I like that. Yeah. uh, You had Alexa Grasso as an underdog. You had Henry Cejudo as an underdog. Uh, I think it was like 11 to 8, 11 to 7, 11 to 8. I'll I'll look it up. But, uh, again, it's like your sixth or seventh straight winning week, and uh, you've turned Parker back twice here. So uh, The the big question is, what does John Anik do with Ian Parker at this point? I mean, is this a guy – are you going to make a trade here? Does he he get thrown out, or what what happens with Ian? I do think MMA lock of the night might be coming in for for UFC 239. I have not – shared this with Ian yet um but I think he might you know he's got to he got to win one of these weeks leading up to 239 or we're going to bring in my man man preach Haas. I mean but, are, uh, you, are you sweating yet though like you don't seem so concerned but I I definitely see that you're, you're getting a little like you don't like how close it's getting now if I knew what the punishment was I think I'd be sweating a little bit more you know the <laughs> listeners are all over me because I still haven't done the power hour which true. will be done in Anaheim, I'm going to try to extend that trip a day and, and do the Power Hour live on the podcast that Monday after the show. I don't think that would make a lot of sense to do it uh, beforehand necessarily. Not the way I want to go into my big fight week necessarily with a Power Hour on Monday, although maybe I should just toughen up. All right, very quickly, Brett Okamoto reporting, and maybe it's been finalized by the time you're listening to this, that Jessica Andrade, who just won the belt in May, is going to turn around quickly and defend it against Li Zhang in China in August. Now, I know Michelle Waterson appears to be the biggest snub, if you even want to call her that. She's number seven in the world. Li Zhang is number six. Everybody above them, 
uh, seems to be tied up. Claudia Gedalia, I think, has a fight on the books. Ioana Jacek coming off a loss. Nina Ansaroff just fought the weekend, as did Tatiana Suarez. Rose Namajunas, the number one contender, needs to heal her wounds. So Jessica Andrade is the part of this that nobody is talking about. We'll get to Zhang in a minute. But Andrade understands that the best way for her to become a UFC superstar, the best way for her to promote herself, is to fight often and to finish fights, right? So she, she just beat Rose, and she wants to piggyback upon that momentum. She's healthy. Obviously, she's making championship money right now, even though this fight won't be on pay-per-view. And it's a very exciting matchup with Wei Li Zhang. So before I even want to talk about the, the merits of Zhang, and she's richly deserving, like I give Andrade a lot of credit because I think she understands that this championship reign is a delicate thing, and she wants to make it count. Without a doubt. I, I mean, listen, there's a reason why Cowboy Cerrone is such a big star. It's exactly. because of his consistency. This is a face that is familiar to the UFC fan uh, base because he's fighting every other few weeks. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. So uh, that's what they want to see. They want to see a champion who's willing to go out there and put their belt on the line consistently. And I think Andrade has that durability. She has that toughness. She has that confidence to go out there and defend that belt repeatedly. I think this is a smart choice, especially as a new champion. Uh, and doing it in enemy territory, as they say, uh, I think says a lot. Suarez has a neck injury. She's still undefeated. It's not out of the realm of possibility that when Tatiana Suarez comes back because of her ranking and her undefeated record and everything that she brings to the table, that her next fight would be for the belt. I think Watterson's next fight, conceivably, depending on the calendar, could be for the belt. Maybe they match those two ladies up, but Suarez, again, is injured, and I'm not sure how soon she would like to turn around. There were some reports that maybe Michelle didn't want to fight till September or October, and there was obviously this August date. But Waitley Zhang, Kenny, has won 19 consecutive fights since dropping her pro debut. She's finished 16 of those 19 wins. She's got submission skills, excellent on the feet, certainly a crowd-pleasing style, 3-0 and in the UFC, dominant win over Tisha Torres. To say she's not deserving or as deserving as Michelle Watterson with respect to the fact that Watterson turned pro in, like, 2005. But to say that Zhang's not deserving, to me, uh, sounds ignorant. Sounds like you haven't watched her on UFC Fight Pass. To me, it's not just the China angle. I think the body of work is worthy of a championship opportunity. Yeah, and absolutely. You you look at the people in that division, the, the women in that division, uh, Nina Ansaroff, she had just lost, of course, to Tatiana Suarez, who's right. number two. Uh, Suarez, you said, has a neck, in, neck injury. Rose Namajunas, you know, got knocked out, so she's not ready for the rematch. Um, Claudia Gadelia, I, I don't think, is deserving. And the next one on that list at number six is Zhang. So I think she's the one. Uh, she's 19 and one right now. Just amazing consistency. Her performance against Tisha Torres for me really sold yeah. uh, me. Uh, so I think she's she's a fighter that is deserving of it. And I also think she could absolutely win that fight as well. Absolutely. It's not that one sided, at least in the opening betting line. I think minus 300 for Andrade and plus 235 for Wei Li Zhang. Excuse me. I just want to say that. You know, sometimes when I promote a matchup like this on social media, people think it's like, oh, dude, you're such a fucking shill. You know, if I didn't like the direction that they were going promotionally here, maybe I wouldn't hop onto social media and scream from the rooftops that Watterson got hosed, right? Because that probably wouldn't be the best thing for me to do under the employ of the UFC. But I'm a fight fan first. My opinion is what I'm putting out there. And if I 
I mean, dude, like I've called Waitley Zhang's fights. I've watched all of her fights. So you can understand why it's easy for me to sit here and make a case like she can go fucking win that fight. Well, also, it, what makes it exciting, too, is that you look at that division. Um, there's there's few women out there that really can match the athleticism of, of someone like Andrade. And, and I really believe that Zhang is one of those that really yeah. can do it. She's a yeah. tremendous athlete picking up the sport like she has. And by the way, I think she's she's put together that 19 fight win streak in like three years. Some, something ridiculous. She hasn't she hasn't been in the sport that long. So, again. Yeah. Just just really impressed with her body work. And after the show today, maybe I have it on my fighter card. I was going to try to put together, uh, and if you'll just humor me here, but I was going to try to put together the record of all of her opponents outside the UFC. Oftentimes when we get a newer fighter in the UFC, I'll, I'll tally what her, her record, let's see if I have it here. So she's never been finished. I don't have the record of UFC PI, Jackson Wink MMA last camp. Yeah, 19 straight wins, slight favorite against Tisha Torres. Well, I don't have the record of uh, of her opponents outside the UFC. I, it probably wasn't super strong, but uh, anyway, I'm excited to see it. I'm not going to China, but I'll be watching August 31st, I think it is. And that is going to do it for today. Thank you all for, uh, for dealing with the delay this week. Uh, thanks to Ray Longo for joining us. Next week, we are back. We will have some picks for Greenville, South Carolina. So you're in South Carolina today. I you am. will not be there 10 days from now when the UFC is there for the first time. Correct. I'll actually, I'm going to be back home in Boston, man. So I'll be back home visiting family. All right. Well, hopefully uh, you can fit in a championship parade if they can close out the Blues tonight. Yes, sir. Let's go. All right. We will be back next week. I'm sure we'll have something to talk about as usual. And, of course, we'll get you picks for that aforementioned show in South Carolina. Main event, Hanato Moikano and the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Jung. Uh, with that for Kempo, I'm John Ann. Thank you all for listening, subscribing, all of that. We'll talk to you in a week. Until then, don't text and drive. Yo, later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.